Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. It's so nice to be able to say that, and actually in the Christmas season, it was funny before Mass, I said, Merry Christmas to someone, and they said, Merry Christmas Eve, Father. I was like, I've already been to Mass, it's Christmas for me, I don't know what it is for you. But how many times in life do we not look at the gifts that God has given to us? This, by far, is my favorite gospel every year. And you may look at me and say, Father, you are absolutely crazy. But when we look at the 42 generations, and yes, I've practiced those names over and over and over and over, because they are not easy to say. It's always fun the first time I have a deacon, like at the 5 o'clock mass when I had Deacon Bill, it's like, you get to do the gospel tonight. He said, are you doing the short version? (laughs) No. He's like, Father, do you hate me? It's like, no. In today's gospel, it is so important for us to read that list of names. Because we see the importance that one life can make, but at the same time, how in God's providence, even when we mess up, even when we make mistakes, in the fullness of time, God can use our mistakes, our sins, for good in the future. But also, one of the great things that the church has given us in the last two years, many of you guys have listened to, is the Bible in a Year timeline. Has anybody listened to that in the last few years? A couple people? See some random hands going up? Well, that's my challenge this next year. Listen to the Bible in a Year timeline. Why? Well, because that way it helps us know more Scripture. But also, when we get to this Mass next year, it's going to be the same gospel. This is the same gospel every year for the Christmas Vigil. But when you listen to those readings, all of these names are listed in the Old Testament. You begin to see who Jehoshaphat was, who Shealtiel was, who Aminadab was, who King Rehoboam was. They won't just be names on a list, but people who have lived lives. And in the beauty of their lives that they lived, each and every one of them needed a Savior. They were all sinners. In fact, every person that was in there wasn't just in the sinner. A lot of them were very egregious sinners. Did you notice when it said David and then his son Solomon, whose mother was the wife of Uriah? If you know the story of that, David had Uriah murdered so that he could then marry Uriah's wife. That then gives us Solomon. Wait a second. David, this King David, the same King David that wrote the 150 Psalms? Yeah, that same guy. That God chose as the first king of the Israelite people. That same man sinned. As did everyone before him. As did everyone after him. Sands two people. Mary and Jesus. Even Joseph, the adopted father of Jesus wasn't protected from the stain of sin, which is interesting when you think about it. He's got to live with perfection. Talk about looking in the mirror and seeing your sins written on your face, right? He could go to his son and say, you don't know what's better. Really, dad? I would hate to be that kid's dad because you're always wrong and actually wrong unlike how most times we as kids look at our parents and say, you don't know what you're talking about. He's like, no, really, you don't know what you're talking about, Dad. I got this. 
But in all of these people, in all of those generations, from Abraham to Jesus, God didn't define one of them by their sins. God sent his son to redeem not just us, but all of them too. Which is why we say in the creed, after he died, what did he do depending on the translation? He either descended into hell, descended to the dead, descended to the bosom of Abraham, or descended into Sheol depending on the translation of the creed. Why would he need to do that? Because the gates of heaven were closed to everyone before him until his passion, death, and resurrection. And it was at that moment then that he could go and bring with him the justified, those who chose to be forgiven, those who turned back to God and their backs on sin. So that's everyone before Christ. We hear about them again in the gospel. What about us after Christ? Well, we live in a world that is a post-Christian world. If you ask about Jesus on the street, you would be astounded at the polar opposite ideas that you will get of who Jesus is and what he stands for. But all you have to do is read the Gospels to know who Christ was. And then allow the Gospels to become part of you to truly understand what that means for us. Every teaching that Christ had in Scripture goes back to those same two rules that I talk about seemingly every single Sunday. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. Everything, as he says, in the law, in the prophets, is summed up in those two commandments. And since God is the creator and the author of the law, and he spoke to the prophets... That means that everything that God gave to humanity for us to be able to understand is encompassed in those two commands. Love God, love neighbor. In that order, specifically. Many times, though, we struggle, not just with loving God, but with loving our neighbor. I talk about this all the time, but I think it's important for us to reiterate when we talk about the Christmas celebration Because the struggle is we do love our neighbor like ourselves most times. We just don't love ourselves. It's impossible for us to truly love our neighbor as God loves our neighbor. That's how we're supposed to love them. That's why when Christ says, love your enemies, it's easy for you to love those who love you. Love your enemies, love your neighbor. It's hard. Because when we see our enemies, we don't see our neighbor. We see our adversary. We see their sins. Because when we see ourselves most times, we also see, rarely the good, but our sins. How many times in the world do we see people that are defined by society based on their actions based on their sins. I put this to the test the five years I was the chaplain of Bishop McGinnis, and I'd always ask my freshman classes, first week of school, who are you? 
Not to get their names. No, that's not what I'm asking. Who are you? Uh, I'm a freshman. And, no, that's not, I don't care about that. Who are you? And they, they keep giving these identifiers that the world sees them as. And finally, they get to, uh, I know what he's going to say. Who are you? I'm a child of God. Amen. 45 minutes into class. Because for most of us, that isn't our first identifier. We don't see ourselves as blessed by God. We don't see that God could possibly bless us because we don't deserve it. And you know what? You're right. We don't deserve God's blessing. But the beauty is, he's going to offer it to you anyways. That is the love of God. That when he sees you, what shields us from him, not him from us, is our sins. Our ability to see and to be Christ to others is limited based on our sinfulness, how we define ourselves. So if we define ourselves by our worst actions, if we call ourselves by the identifiers of the world, then I'm just a priest. Or for me, and I've said this before and I'll say it again, for me growing up, I'm just a short, fat, bald priest. <laughs> because that's what I see when I look in the mirror. I see all of my blemishes. I see all of the negativity. It's like, really, Lord? This is your image and likeness? Try again. I know I'm not the only one that feels that. Not just about me, but about each other. That all we see many times is the negative attributes of our lives. Why is that? Think about a normal, typical day. Everything's going fine. Until something is said or something is done that upsets the rest of your day, your week, your month, your year, how long it is, because one thing is done wrong. And we focus on that, and we allow it to eat at us, and we get so bitter about it. It doesn't affect anybody else, unless we just push it off on them. Why didn't we focus on the other 99% of the day? It was going well that we did get those compliments, that we did hear those good things, we did have good things going, we only focused on the negative. Because Satan doesn't want you to be happy. We have to recognize that Satan does exist. Because if we totally don't understand that, it's hard for us to combat him. My brothers and sisters, we are in a spiritual battle. And the biggest arsenal, the biggest thing in Satan's arsenal is convincing you that it doesn't exist, or even if it does exist, you can't do anything about it. Lies. Maybe there's a reason he's called the father of lies. He wants you to be miserable. He wants you to be worse than the Grinch. Because the Grinch, at least at one point, allowed his heart to grow three sizes. And he's not real. Though I know Justin Jefferson dressed up like him before the game today, but that's the side's point. <laughs> but he wants us to look at the negative. He wants us to define ourselves by your worst sin. 
when brothers and sisters, in your worst sin, God saw it and offered you forgiveness immediately. It's us that said we aren't worthy of it. It's us that said, how could God ever forgive me? How could God ever love me? We talk so much about how there's only one sin that's unforgivable. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Which in layman terms is, I don't believe that God has the power to forgive me, so I don't ask for it. So the only sin that's unforgivable is not asking for forgiveness. That's it. But many times we hold on to those sins. We make them part of us because we're so afraid to live without them because who am I if I can't be the one that's just ridiculed and, and made fun of and picked on? You can be authentically you. You can be free. You can be truly and authentically who God has created you to be. That is the good news, my brothers and sisters. When we talk about the joy to the world in this season of Christmas, preparation for it in Advent, it's not just about baby Jesus coming or, as Ricky Bobby would say, eight pounds, six ounce baby Jesus, something like that. But it's instead about how the Lord our God humbled himself, left perfection to be amongst us as sinners, not to just be amongst us, but to pay the price and the debt for each and every one of our sins. Even when we don't want him to, he's offering that gift to us. That's how much God loves you. That's what this season is really about. And it's a shame how the world takes these liturgical seasons and twist them. I guarantee you, Monday morning, Walmart will have everything for Christmas 50% off. That's not telling you to go get the Christmas stuff on Monday. That's not what I'm saying. That's the second day of Christmas. Not the end of Christmas. Not Christmas being over. And at the same time, that same Walmart on November 1st, began Christmas before we even got to Thanksgiving. It's All Saints Day, and we're already singing Merry Christmas. Why? Because we don't have patience, first of all. We're in the 21st century. Who has time for patience? But also, to get us to stop thinking and asking the question, Why? I was always asked in my philosophy classes, when you get to heaven, it was more of like, if you get to heaven. It's like, no, 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 when, when, I want to think positively. When I get to heaven, if you get to ask God one question, what would you ask him? That's a great question. My question, why? People are like, why would you ask him why? Because that would give me, hopefully, the answer to all the questions I've ever had. Why existence? Why me? Why my family? Why did things happen the way that they happened? We ask all of these questions and we live out as if sometimes they don't have answers, but all of those questions do have answers. And many times those questions, the answers that they have are ones that we don't like. And so we stop asking the question. 
Well, I'm the annoying kid in class, so I'm still asking. I'm the kid that was told in seminary, Danny, put your hand down. You get three questions per class. That's it. If you have more questions, come after class. Write them down. But when we stop investigating the why, we stop living our why. And for each and every one of us, God has given us a specific purpose in life. The way it's lived out is different for all of us. But I am certain and sure that the best way to find your why is to do the best you can every day to embrace God's love, to live it out, and to share it. If with every question you have in your life, whether it be job, whether it be family, whether it be vocation, whatever it may be, if you asked yourself the question, how does this help me to embrace God's love, live it, and share it, I guarantee you 80% plus of the time, you're going to find your answer. And sometimes that answer is, it doesn't. We ask, well, why won't God give me the answer? Because he gave you everything you need to figure it out. And sometimes in life, we don't like that answer. It's that old saying, God answers every prayer. Sometimes the answer is not right now, not in that way, and no. And as kids, we learned, it has to be right now. It has to be my way. And no is the first word we ever learn. No. It's like we all grew up watching Monty Python. Me. It's like, that's not the word they taught. No. Okay, close enough. But why is it that we become so combative? Because many times we think the world revolves around us. And when the world revolves around us, there is no hope. It doesn't matter who you are. There's no hope if the world revolves around you. The world, think of, imagine a world, if you would, where the world revolved around Father Danny. You're like, oh, heck no. I don't want that. But then put yourself in Father Danny's position. Because that's many times how we live. Our one decision is going to change the course of creation and humanity. How many times do we watch these movies about time travel? Like Back to the Future, it always baffled me that going back in time, if you made one thing different, it would change all of creation ever after. We are in that past right now, my brothers and sisters. Why then, if we believe that, if we buy into that narrative, do we think that we can't make a difference today? Well, I never thought about that. I didn't either until recently. <laughs> but I think that's a good challenge. You can make a difference today that for your children, your children's children, your children's 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 children can be changed because of it. I talk a lot about my relationship with my dad because we were really close. My dad came from a very broken family. 
He lived in a family of yours, mine, ours, his, hers, and theirs kids. Like, that's six different relationships that had kids in this whole family. I had to do something called a genogram, which is where you do your family relationships. I had always learned he had nine brothers and sisters. Come to find out there's like 28 of the yours, mine, ours, his, hers, and theirs. Well, but yeah, I didn't really count them as part of, and that's part of the relationship lines. You don't count them. They're still there. Well, but she was, he was only married to mom for X amount of years, and in the midst of all that chaos, he was the one that got out. I wouldn't be who I am today as a person, let alone a priest, if my dad had not made the decision to change the narrative of the life he was told he had to live. I would not be who I am today if I hadn't allowed myself to learn, most times the hard way, those lessons. That today, I can make a difference. Not only in my life, but in the lives of those around me. One of the biggest blessings for me as a priest is you. And I'm not just saying that to pander. <laughs> I'm saying it because I mean it. You guys teach me more than I will ever teach you. Sometimes on the sinful realm, because I'm friends with a lot of you guys on social media, I see it, yes. But also how you guys can love and love and love and just give from what God has given to you. You guys are my hero. You guys inspire me to be better. There's a lot of things that I don't want or don't like to do that I would never do for myself. But for you guys, you guys are more than worth it. Yes, you're sinners. So am I. And despite that, and we may get into fights every once in a while, we may have disagreements, but despite that, God loves you, God loves me. So my call is to love you. Some days you make it really hard, but so do I. <laughs> in the midst of that, we can both be given the opportunity to grow. And so in this Christmas season, I realize I'm going long. In this Christmas season, if you hear nothing else, hear and know for certain, for sure, God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. Merry Christmas.